Is this Patriots locker room primed for a collapse? We'll get into that in a minute. Also want to talk about Mac Jones stepping up to the podium and maybe slide in some B's to talk about that opener last night. But let's start here. So earlier this week, you had the Henry McKenna story almost immediately after that dumpster fire on Sunday against the Saints. And McKenna with Fox Sports came out and he wrote that someone close to Mac Jones thought that the offense, I'm paraphrasing, but thought the offense was garbage. You can't make a garbage offense good, et cetera, et cetera. So that story came out, certainly trying to protect Mac Jones and his interests. Then yesterday, we talked about the Jeff Howe story in The Athletic. Certainly someone close or multiple people close to the owner of the team, RKK, publicly speaking to a reporter on the record about Bill Belichick's failure as GM of this football team and really a shot across the bow at the head coach and threatening him, I thought, telling him, look, if this doesn't get any better, you're done. We have to move to a different human being in that spot because you are not doing the job that you need to be doing to make this team successful. Then we have Gerard Mayo this week talking with reporters and being refreshingly honest, saying that, yes, it is frustrating for the defense the way the offense is played and that they're trying to make sure that nobody's going to start pointing fingers. And you start to really feel the tension between defense offense, because those defensive guys, look, they haven't been as good as we thought they would be even prior to the Gonzalez Judon injury, but they're trying to do the best they can. They haven't been fantastic. They weren't fantastic on Sunday, but they're getting frustrated because they have to go out there again and again and again and again and defend because their offense can't string together drives. Their offense can't score points. Their offense is not helping them. So the McKenna story, the Howe story, the Mayo quote, and then we have to go back to this offseason because I think one of the most overlooked parts of this team structure right now is the fact that you have not signed Michael Wenu to an extension. You have not signed Kyle Duggar to an extension. You have not signed Josh Uche to a contract extension. Now, I'm not here to tell you that the Patriots should have bent over backwards to get those contracts done. All I'm telling you is that when you have multiple players, especially if those players are important to the program and the product, you have multiple players who are not getting the contract extension that they were hoping to get. That's going to be an issue, right? That could creep into the minds of these guys. That could affect the product that could impact their productivity that could cause some tension within the relationship between player and head coach slash GM. And when you look at it from 30,000 feet, here's something that I haven't heard anybody say, and maybe it's just because I haven't been listening to everybody, but I haven't heard this aspect of the locker room brought up just yet. I have not heard with all of this tension seemingly starting to mount within that locker room, the frustration level, the disgust, the disappointment, the McKenna story, the how story. How about the fact that one third of this football team is set to be hitting free agency once this year is over? That is a major aspect of this story. And I don't think it's getting nearly enough tension. Like when you look at what's going on within the framework of the facility, you have 18 players that are on the current roster that are heading into free agency. And I'm not just talking about the back end of the roster. I already mentioned the Duggars, the Uches, the Owenus. 
How about Hunter Henry? He's set to be a free agent. Trent Brown, Kendrick Bourne, Mike Sicki, Jalen Mills, Anthony Jennings. And if you say Anthony Jennings, yes. Matthew Judon out, Anthony Jennings in. He played a ton of snaps against the Saints. So as this season seems to be crumbling right in front of them, as we start to see this awful, precipitous decline within what this team is supposed to be when you go back years ago, when you see all of the questioning regarding Bill Belichick, when you see the leaks and people starting to talk to the media, you also have to factor in that one-third of this team has absolutely zero commitment to the New England Patriots beyond 2023. Now imagine, imagine if you're working for your employer, things aren't going well. You don't necessarily trust or believe in the business, but you're on a contract and you have less than one year to go. Now, some people will handle that situation and say, I'm just going to do the best job that I can do. But we know human nature takes over. We understand that some people in that situation would say, this whole thing's a bleep show. Why am I going to get involved with this bleep show? Why am I going to sit here and put myself at risk for injury for a team that stinks? These guys didn't want to commit to me. There's no loyalty from them. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be loyal to them. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to be loyal to Bill Belichick when this guy doesn't think that I'm valuable enough to sign a contract extension? Some, again, not everybody in that locker room. But you do have to wonder how many guys are thinking that right now. I'm on a one and four team. After this Vegas trip, we got to play Buffalo and Miami, two teams that are better than us. We could be looking at best case scenario two and six, could be one and seven. Maybe I should just play out the string. This is a physical, violent game. I'm going to put myself at risk for a team that stinks for a guy that doesn't want to commit to me. The buy-in. The buy-in has already been questioned. Can you imagine how much questioning we're going to have about the buy-in when you have players that are not signed long-term? This is a problem. Right now, you got a broken quarterback, a bottom five team in the league. Some would argue, and it's tough to push back, that this is the worst team in football right now. You have one-third of that team heading into free agency. If you're Mike Gesicki, what are you playing for? Now, ultimately, I think the other side of the coin is, and maybe this is what Belichick was thinking, you're going to have a bunch of motivated guys, a bunch of motivated players, right, to prove their value because their jobs are on the line and they need to produce. They need to produce so they can get their next contract. They can make the money that they hope to make in free agency. And that is a valid counter to what I'm saying. Here's the problem, though, with that counter. The problem is the rest of the NFL. Is the rest of the NFL going to blame the Mike Gesicki's, Hunter Henry's, and Kendrick Bournes of the world for this colossal flop, if it is a colossal flop? Or is Bill Belichick going to be blamed? The offensive line going to be blamed? Mac Jones going to be blamed? There are going to be teams out there looking at this situation in New England and saying, I'm interested in that guy. I'm interested in Hunter Henry. I'm interested in Josh Uche. I'm interested in Kyle Duggar. And I don't think what they did last year should be an indictment on them. It should be an indictment on the program. So when you have a third of your team 
not committed beyond this year, and you have that team crumbling, things can get really bad. If you're two and six, if you're one and seven, how many guys will want to get out? How many guys will just say, get me out of here? This is awful. I did not sign up for this. How many? I don't know the answer to that. But I can guarantee you there will be at least some of the players in that locker room thinking just that. Exit stage left. Where the heck is the exit sign? Where do I got to go to get out of this place? I no longer want to be in Foxborough. I don't want to be dealing with this. Which then leads to the next question. Will Bill Belichick, if he is still part of the program, which I think he will be, I don't think Robert Kraft is going to fire him in season because I think that would humiliate Belichick. And I do think that Kraft has to pay some respect to Belichick and for what he accomplished, the six rings, the 20-plus seasons before this epic fail. I don't think Kraft will humiliate and embarrass Belichick by firing him in season. But that's the other problem. Belichick is going to be desperate to prove to people that everybody is wrong and that he's right. He's going to be desperate to win football games to try to keep his job. He's desperate to win football games to attain Don Shula's record and then surpass that record. He is going to be a man acting out of desperation, which begs the question, will Bill Belichick be doing what's best for the football team if they are 2-6, and 1-7, and seven, and you're at the trading deadline, and you got one-third of your roster heading to free agency? Will Bill Belichick at that point do the right thing? He always preaches, you got to do what's right for the football team. Well, in the micro, trading all of these guys is not going to make the football team better. But in the macro, that's precisely what you should do. If we're looking at two and six, one and seven, and it's tough for me to believe it'll be any better than two and six. If we're looking at that record with this team, as you approach the deadline, it would be incumbent on any GM to start trying to trade the pieces that might have some value that you are no longer committed to. But is Belichick going to do that, given the idea that his job is on the line? It's tough. It's tough to believe that Belichick will pivot and just start trading pieces away and admit that this was a disaster and win three, four games and gun for a top five pick in the draft. So in a normal world, you'd have a GM that would be pulling the trigger and getting rid of some of these guys and saying, let's just move on. But this ain't the normal world right now. And guys are going to look around and they're going to start questioning, you know, with this team derailing, what is it doing to my value? Kyle Duggar is a perfect example of this. One of the issues this year with this defense is free safety. It was a question before we got into the season. And I gave Belichick the benefit of the doubt as a coach that he would be able to assemble enough with the safeties that he had on the roster to figure things out. Free safety has not been a great thing for this defense. And they've got Kyle Duggar playing with much more depth. Because Duggar's playing with much more depth in the secondary, he has not been impacting plays as regularly as he has in the past. So again, Duggar walks into free agency. Our team's going to look at Duggar and say, man, he wasn't making the plays this year. He's just not the same guy. He doesn't have the positional versatility that we thought he might have. Or are they going to look at Duggar and say, he didn't make the plays because he was out of position. He wasn't doing what he does best as a football player. And that's because 
his head coach slash GM failed to replace Devin McCourty adequately. Do you think Duggar looks around and says, man, I'm walking into free agency and I'm not making these plays. I don't have the interceptions. I don't have the tackles for loss. I'm not screaming downhill as much as I usually do. I'm in the back of the secondary screwing around. So when you look at particular players and their individual cases, you start to see how this could become a problem. Just something to remember as we move forward. Like, rate, review, and subscribe. Look, three straight days of more than 1,000 views with this show on YouTube, and it's all because of you. I try to give you as good of content as I can give you, but this show will only go as far as you allow it to go. And you do that by giving me a like on YouTube, that thumbs up. You've been watching now for 10 plus minutes. Maybe you've been watching for five minutes, whatever it is. It takes you one second to click that thumbs up, and it means an awful lot. You look at it, the more likes means more eyeballs, more views. And we build this community, and I'm going to be able to deliver the content to you Monday through Friday as long as we keep this puppy rolling and the numbers continue to increase because I'm a one-man man, baby. I ain't making a dime off this. So... Your help, much needed. Subscribe as well. Rate, review, Spotify, Apple Pods. Also, follow me on X at Nick C Radio. Again, it's Nick C Radio on X. Which hand is it? Nope, the wrong one. Right there. Right there. You can't see it. You can see it at Nick C Radio. Follow me on X. All right, let's jump to uh, Jacoby Myers. Something else I wanted to talk about. Obviously, lots of Jacoby Myers talk. This week, because we know the background, yada, yada. Uh, I said this earlier in the week, in case you missed the podcast or you're new to the program, Jacoby Myers production this year matches, if not actually exceeds the production of Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster combined. Ridiculous. Jacoby has 25 catches. Juju and Parker have 26. Myers has 274 yards. Parker and Juju have 215. Myers has found the end zone three times this year. Juju and Parker still looking for their first touchdown. Brutal. Myers has been so much better than both your one and two. And so Bill Belichick, he knew the question was going to come yesterday with the media, and he was asked about Jacoby Myers, and uh, Andrew Callahan posted on X. Belichick says Myers was a priority in free agency, and he feels they were relatively, quote-unquote, relatively close in negotiations. You know, relative's a funny word. You could always throw the word relatively into a sentence to to maybe change the narrative. We were relatively close. What does relatively close mean? Were you close or not close? Relatively close. Callahan continues to post. I can tell you this. That's news to Myers camp. Mark Daniels, Mass Live, posted on X. The truth is Myers wanted to be back and the Patriots offered more money to Juju. Is that true? Kind of. You go back to pro football talk, and I did this last night. Juju is going to get paid $16 million guaranteed over the next two years. Now think about how bad it is this year, and just imagine that you're going to go through this again next year with Juju. Ugh. Ugh. Guaranteed $16 million over two years. The deal will continue for a third year at the team's option. It was not a three-year, $33 million deal. Never believe the initial reports because that's funny money that's being pushed out by the agents. The base package is $25.5 million. Juju can make up to $33 million. So, ipso facto, Juju guaranteed $16 million over two years. 
When you look at Meyer's contract, this was Doug Kide when he was working for A to Z going back a few months ago. He now obviously works for the Boston Herald, but Doug at the time wrote that Meyer's contract with the Raiders was essentially a one-year, $11 million contract, team options for 24 and 25. The only full guarantees on Meyer's deal was his $5.5 million signing bonus and the $5 million he's going to make this year. One year, $11 million guaranteed versus two years, $16 million guaranteed. So yes, in total money, Belichick gave more to Juju. But what I think the biggest issue is here is the fact that Belichick was so focused on the 2023 cap and what he was going to spend at the position this year that he was too focused on the tree instead of the forest. Look at how much money they have to spend next offseason. We're talking about a team that will have about $100 million in cap space for 2024. So what Belichick did was he did not want to pay. Well, there's a couple options here. He either did not want to pay Jacoby the $11 million this year and have the numbers affected some kind of way on the cap that he wasn't happy to, to deal with. And he looked at Juju and said, well, we'll get him for $8 million a year for the next two years versus Jacoby for one year at $11 million. I'll pay him $5 million more over the two years versus paying the Juju, sorry, the Jacoby contract at $11 million for the one year. That's one option is that Belichick looked at the average annual value with incentives and picked the cheaper deal when you look at a year-to-year -year basis. Or Belichick just didn't want the player back. He just didn't want to extend himself. And, and it's really difficult to look at this that, you know, the difference at the end of the day is just a few million dollars and how you spread it over a couple of years. And then you think about how Belichick had no issue extending Devontae Parker. If you gave, if you gave Jacoby Juju's 8 million guaranteed this year and you threw on top of that the Devontae Parker extension money, you had more than enough money to pay Jacoby. Just using that money, you, you had more than enough money to, to, to sign Jacoby anyway because you still had like 10 plus million dollars in cap space before you kicked off the season. But even if you wanted to go tit for tat, apples for apples, the money was still there. It was how the funds were spread. And Jacoby, again, is single-handedly outproducing Juju and Devontae Parker. And it doesn't mean that Jacoby would have the same numbers here with the Patriots that he has in Las Vegas, because, of course, he also has Devontae Adams helping with coverage. He has Josh McDaniels as a play caller, et cetera, et cetera. But we saw Jacoby Myers produce last year with the bleep show that was happening at Gillette. It's hard to believe that he just wouldn't be producing this year. And it's really simple. Would you rather have Jacoby or would you rather have Juju and Devontae Parker? Right now, you would much rather have Jacoby. And so what was up with Belichick? Look, it, it could be revisionist history from Bill, you know, to make the Juju Myers decision more defensible if he sells you on the idea that, hey, we wanted him back. It was relatively close, but he just chose to go the different path. Belichick is putting it on Myers. He is giving Myers the responsibility as to why he is a Raider and not a Patriot. And that's not the truth. The truth is Belichick made the decision. He made the decision to go with Juju, and he made the decision to extend Devontae Parker. Belichick could have made the decision to keep Jacoby Myers and sign DeAndre Hopkins. 
And so he's going to try to sell you this idea that they were relatively close and Jacoby just, we couldn't make it work. Let me ask you, would Bill Belichick have the same answer if Juju was playing extremely well? Do you think Bill would say, well, we negotiated, we were relatively close, and, you know, this is just free agency, players go where they got to go. Do you think he'd be trying to almost defend that negotiation with Jacoby if Juju was explosive, if he actually had two legs to work with, if he was producing as much as Jacoby? I don't think Bill would have handled that question the same way. But because Juju has been an abject failure, Belichick handled it the way he handled it. And we know Belichick's history. He doesn't want to move from his number unless it's defense. He'll move from his number. He'll pay guys like, you know, Stephon Gilmore at the top of the market. And he'll extend Dante Hightower when Hightower goes to the Steelers and he gets a good number back. And, and he'll let Devin McCourty go and talk to the Eagles, whoever it was. And he'll actually pony up and give the money to McCourty. Won't do that for a receiver. Not going to happen on Bill's watch. And you just think about the idea that you could have Jacoby and DeAndre Hopkins instead of Juju and Devontae Parker because you could have traded Parker for a seventh-round pick in the offseason and just been done with him and replaced him with Hopkins. You could have had those two receivers over the two receivers that you have. And you think about those decisions that seem easy, seem easy on their face. And when you think about that, does it make any sense to allow that guy who did not make the right decision with those easy decisions to handle the bigger off-season offensive decisions? He can't get those decisions right, but you want him to be responsible for the next quarterback? Hmm. Like, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Pods, Spotify, YouTube. Also, throw your comments in there. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you disagree with what I'm saying? We can have some good back and forth. I've done that since the beginning of this pod. YouTube, give us that thumbs up and comment. You can also follow me on X at Nick C Radio. A couple more things here. Mac did his part, I thought, yesterday with the media. And I'm not telling you that, Max. Great. I'm not telling you Mac's going to turn this thing around. At the end of the day, this might not make any difference whatsoever on the football field. But Mac with the media yesterday, I thought, took accountability, took responsibility, and said some interesting things. One of the things he said is that I'm not necessarily a younger guy anymore. It's my third year. I've got to start playing like that. Yes. He's telling us I can't make those kinds of mistakes that I've made the last two weeks, especially being in year three. It's just not good enough. That's called taking accountability. I like when players take accountability. I like when the quarterback takes accountability. Mack also said, quote, one of the best things I do is my ability to communicate. Somebody told me that in the locker room, and I look, I took that to heart. I need to do a better job of that. I haven't done that here the past couple years. Hmm. The past couple of years, he says he hasn't communicated well enough. Again, taking accountability telling us, I have not done a good enough job behind the scenes. I have not done a good enough job communicating with my teammates. I wonder who talked to him. Was it Hunter Henry, who is reportedly pretty close to Mac? Was it somebody else? Was it a coach? Because Mac just said, somebody told me in the locker room that one of my best abilities is to communicate. Who told him? Whoever did, thank you. Because, look, th there are no allies for Mac if you shut it down. If you're not communicating with your teammates, 
if you're coming across as brutish, if you're coming across as smarmy, if you're coming across as petty, petulant, whatever word you want to use. And now you're not talking to your teammates as much as you should be. You're going to isolate yourself, which is fascinating, given given the quote yesterday to Jeff Howe about how Belichick alienated Jones. Maybe somebody told Jones, you are alienating from this team. You are alienating yourself from us. And that's got to be fixed. Because Mac already lacks trust. And most, for the most part, for good reason. But it's obvious he lacks trust in the offensive line. He lacks trust in some of his weapons. So lacking trust, not communicating, these are things that can just tear people down. Mac has to get out of his feels. I understand. Again, he's human. It's human nature to get frustrated, disappointed. It's human nature to get shook when the pass rush is just crushing you every week. It's human nature. But Mac has to get out of his feels. He's got to get out of those emotions. He has to focus on the task at hand, be the best teammate he can be, be the the best quarterback he can be, and stop with the emotional stuff. He's got a job to do. And this weekend, on Sunday, in Vegas, is the most important game of Mac Jones' career. Because if he looks the same on Sunday, he's done. At least with this organization for this year, he's done. So get out of your feels, Mac. Put the pants on, be a big boy, and let's get rolling. And I thought at the podium, he started to, you know, actually get to that. He also said a lot of the guys I have a great relationship with, some of my closest friends, not only on the field, but off the field, carry that into games. He says he wants to have fun. He says, then the game comes around. I don't know what it is. He said, we were out there having fun, and then we don't have fun when the game starts. Well, things are different when the, when the live bullets start to fly. The sphincter tightens just a wee little bit, right? When you have a defensive line barreling down on you, it's tough to have fun when you're running for your life. But that's when you need trust. And let's see if they get back to that on Sunday. But I thought Mac at the podium yesterday did a very good job. Again, responsible, accountable, telling everybody what he was weak at, what starting over means for him. Andrew Callahan on X said that Mac listed three things. Footwork, we've talked about it. His footwork has been horrendous. No, no excuse. Has to be better. His eyes are on a play. We've talked about that. Last two weeks especially, he's been missing guys. When they get open, he has not seen them or or wanted to throw to them. That obviously has to change. And again, he highlighted the communication. So the footwork and the eyes are the biggest issues with me. Communication, you wonder if he's kind of hinting towards Juju Smith-Schuster and the lack of you know connection that he has with Juju. Obviously, that won't change this weekend if Juju is out. I expect Juju and Demario Douglas to be out and in the concussion protocol. So that won't be able to be figured into the equation until after this weekend. But we're talking baby steps. Baby steps right now. Taking accountability and responsibility at the podium. And now on Sunday against the Raiders, the baby steps will have to be the mechanics, the footwork, and not turning the football over. You have to go simple first. You can't change everything around. You can't wave a magic wand. Baby steps. And I thought we got some baby steps from Mac yesterday. All right, let's get into the Bruins. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Apple Pods, Spotify, YouTube. You can follow me on X at Nick C Radio. Again, it's at Nick C Radio. 
Uh, Boston Bruins. Boy, oh boy, I'm rocking my Bruins hoodie today. You can check it out on YouTube. There it is. Um, Bruins win 3-1 last night uh, against the Blackhawks. I, I thought five on five, the Bs were pretty damn good. And, and I thought they tilted the ice late in that third period. I mean, once the Blackhawks were, were thinking about going empty net in the final three, four minutes, it, it was really difficult for them to get to that point because the Bruins just controlled the puck in the zone forever. So I thought five on five, they were really, really solid. I know Coach Montgomery came out and he said he didn't think they were very good. I, I thought they had a good night, a solid night, especially five on five. Um, Matthew Patra, I guess we might be calling him Maddie now. I don't know. Uh, Patra. He showed last night what he showed in the preseason, which is really nice to see. The poise, right? Think about the assist that he had last night. That is showing tremendous patience, tremendous poise, and tremendous playmaking ability. Those three Ps is what Patra showed in the preseason, right? That's what he showed. And so to have the poise and the playmaking and the patience, all together on one play, I, I thought that really encapsulates what he can be. 19 years old, first NHL game, didn't look shook. He was playing late shifts, which was nice to see. He was defending late in the neutral zone up along the boards. That was nice to see. He has this ability to, to control the puck on his stick and not get careless for the most part. So if you were if you were excited to see Patra last night before that game began, I think you're even more excited about Patra after what you saw. Uh, so we talked about you know the young guy Patra, the other young guy Beecher. I, I thought he played well, centered the fourth line. Uh, Ty Anderson of 98.5 The Sports Hub he wrote that you know Beecher when he was on the ice, the Bruins outshot the Blackhawks 11 to five. Beecher won 54 percent of his faceoffs last night. We talked about him yesterday on the podcast. He is somebody who's big, physical, has some speed. I don't think he won the fight that he got into, but that's neither here nor there. I thought it was a good night, a good night, a good start for the two guys who are young and centering the third and fourth lines, respectively. Patra and Beecher both played solid hockey last night. You know who else was good? And I was one of the people that were mocking. I, I, I was mocking the Bruins before the season. And during the offseason because of their over-the-top promotion of Milan Lucic. But look, Lucic was really good last night. He moved around. He wasn't exclusively on the fourth line as the game progressed. But I thought Lucic in the fourth line, right off the jump, first shift of the night, they started the game last night for Montgomery. And I thought right from that first shift, fourth line played well. And Lucic was the one spearheading that. Finished with an assist. He showed the Lucic physicality, still using that body of his. So I, I thought Lucic played really well. The fourth line played really well. Beecher and Patra played well. Allmark, I thought. Linus Allmark was really good. You might overlook three or four big stops that he came up with last night. Allmark off to a good start. And this game could have been out of hand if it wasn't for Chicago's goaltending. The Bruins had, it felt like, 30 superior chances in the third period. It was probably closer to four or five, but they had four or five unreal looks in the third period that they just couldn't finish. Two things that weren't so great to me. 
the first power play unit. Now, I, I thought their first power play, the first shift in that power play from the first unit was pretty good. They moved the puck pretty well. But as the night went on, that first power play unit just wasn't good. No chemistry. You got Zaka in the middle, a little bit of an awkward fit because he's a lefty. You saw Marshan do that little dump off to the center during the uh, dur- during the power play in this game where he would usually dump it to like Bergeron. Bergeron would rip it, right? The one-time, quick one-time right there. And Zaka was just, he couldn't really get to the puck because he's lefty. Marshan's used to the righty. So the first power play unit was clunky. The second power play unit I thought was really good, especially in the third period. I, I thought the second power play unit gave you some hope, but they've got to figure out some of that clunkiness with that first unit. And I also thought that Lindholm had some shaky moments, had some shaky moments, a couple of weird, ill-advised decisions by Lindholm. He's got to be better. But all in all, solid night for the Bees, 1-0 on the season. Uh, they're getting ready to be the first NHL team in history to finish 82-0. Excited for that. But I thought they were good. And again, Patra and Beecher, if you were excited to see the young guys play, you're probably more excited after what you saw them do last night. All right, like, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Pods, Spotify. Don't forget YouTube, the comments, the likes, those thumbs up. They mean the world to us. Uh, Tomorrow, we will try to, (laughs) unless something else comes out about the Patriots, we will try to focus on Patriots, Raiders, uh, and and what we could see with those matchups and what Mac needs to do. All of those things will hit on them tomorrow on the Nick Cattle Show.